Um, let's just jump into it. Um, today's sermon comes, um, we are taking a detour from the previous, um, from the series that I started. And today's sermon is called um, uh, Problems Are Blessings in Disguise, But They Are Still Problems. Problems are blessings in disguise, but they are still problems. Um, Usually I like to wait for all of us to kind of scripture hop. Um, I'm praying you can keep up. Um, I'm just going to have them on the screen, um, and I'll say them out loud for reference. The book of Acts, six, um, chapter first verse. Okay, we're going to read this, and then we're going to come back to this. Um, it says, in those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. You may be seated. Last week, um, I had talked about how uh, this parking problem that we had um, is a blessing. And... Where I was coming from was that, that this uh, parking problem is a blessing because it is a sign of growth, um, which I think, St. John, we can all agree is good. Um, we're, we're growing and we're running out of parking spots. So, uh, so uh, uh, you know, we had an issue with parking and, and in that sense it was Um, A blessing. It's a good problem that we can't fit everyone in this parking lot. And so what I wanted to do was to use this as an opportunity, you know, for us to focus on God instead of focusing on each other, um, which, you know, biblically speaking, is the way toward conflict resolution. And in fact, um, if we can, uh, you know, since I said biblically speaking, you can reference the book of Philippians, the fourth chapter, the second through the ninth verses. Um, Paul was talking to the church of Philippi, and and there were two ladies, uh, very prominent ladies in the church uh, that had real issues with each other. Now, I know, St. John, we don't know what that's like, but this happened. Um, verse two, um, Paul's talk, uh, uh, writing, he says, I urge Eudia and I urge Sintike to agree in the Lord. This, this is Paul's response to the issue that's going there. I urge them to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner. He's talking to one person at this point. I also, also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. And then Paul's still talking. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. 
The Lord is near. Look how Paul's taking this uh, uh, conversation. Verse 6, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which, by the way, is referring to the peace of God that's needed in this conflict, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul keeps going on. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Verse 9, do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me. And the peace and the God of peace will be with you. And so this was my intention of the way I responded last week, was to focus on God and what God is doing for us to agree in the Lord and to move forward. Unfortunately, not everyone was happy with my response. And uh, the reason is, it, honestly, it, it sounded a little like, you know, kind of kumbaya, you know? Yeah, you know? Let's all get along, you guys. Hey. You know? and, I, and when I look at my response, I realize that I did not um, address the second part, which, you know, the first part is that problems are blessings in disguise, which is what I put. But I did not clearly address the second part, which is that they are still problems. There was an apology given earlier today about the incident that happened. I don't need to mention names. This is being live streamed. If you weren't here, you missed it. It's all right. But there was an apology given earlier today. And it was given in public because it happened in public. The person that committed the wrong got in front of the church and admitted their wrong and apologized for it. So therefore, it was handled. So now, and I know that there were some of us that had felt off offended by the actions that had happened today. Now that the apology has been formally issued, it is time to forgive. It's time to forgive. Now, I know some of y'all are looking like, with this forgiveness crap. Matthew 6, 14 through 15. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. Verse 15. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. I'm going to let this one marinate a little bit. 
It's time to forgive. And if you don't like the apology, too bad. You got to forgive anyway. Do you realize the Bible says that you are to forgive even if apologies are never given to you? I'm just leaving this on the screen because maybe it's some people's first time seeing this. I didn't write this. There's no, you know, technical way to interpret this. It's straight up. It's time to forgive. And of course, you know, the, 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 the presenting issue is at hand, but um, I say this for all types of conflict here at St. John, and that's really what this is about. It's not just about this one time. It's about conflicts here at St. John, conflicts that have happened that I have never formally addressed in my five and something years here as pastor. I am now formally addressing each and every conflict. And we all know what the conflicts are, St. John. Let's not hide. Let's not act like we don't know. We know what they are. Conflict resolution begins with forgiveness. Even if they did not say sorry. In this case, today's case, there was an apology. So you have even an extra notion to forgive. But you ought to forgive. See, I, I was not clear. Uh, um, I was not clear enough that problems are still problems. And problems must be dealt with. However, there is a respectful way to handle problems. We're going to have problems. As we grow, we're going to have conflict. We're going to have issues. They're going to happen. I'm sorry, St. John is not some magical land where everybody just, you know, turns like, uh, uh, like we're in heaven and we're moved from sin. I am so sorry, but we are still on this earth. We are going to have problems. I don't think everybody wants problems, but there's going to happen because we are different people. It's going to happen. And if you're not a part of St. John and you're thinking, man, I don't know about this church, every single church has problems. Matter of fact, your house has problems. Matter of fact, your job got problems. Matter of fact, your friend's house got problems. Everybody got problems. And just because you don't see their problems on Facebook and Instagram and, and all that don't mean that they ain't got problems. Everybody's dealing with something. But there is a respectful way to handle problems. Let me just talk about the secular world. Outside of church, all conflict resolution, you know, when you want to get into marital counseling, you want to get into correcting issues in the workplace, when you want to have uh, family therapy, all of this conflict resolution involves uh, uh, all parties involved finding a common goal, okay? Not only a, a common goal, but a, a, a corollary to that, along with that, is points of, of agreement. 
uh, points of commonality. Okay, not only a common goal and, and points, you know, like things that are within, uh, that we hold in common, but also that there's a commitment to do what it takes to get to the goal and abandoning my way there for the best way. It shows, again, with all conflict resolution, the goal is to make sure you realize that you are on a team. You are together. John 17, uh, verses 22 through 23, read as follows. They say, this is Jesus praying. This is Jesus praying, the Son of God praying uh, for us. And he says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be, let's say it together, one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also believe in us so that the world may believe you sent me. Verse 22, I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. Let me say that again. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. The Christian version of conflict resolution is to remember that we are one. It's to remember that we are all princesses and, and princes of the kingdom because God the Father is the king. It's to remember that, that we ought to focus what, uh, 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 on what God wants for us. You know, again, Jesus prayed for unity. He wants unity for us. It, it's to remember that that we're not fighting each other, but there is a common enemy. And that we are on the same team. And in order to do that, we've got to follow Jesus. We've got to build his church as we are one body uh, uh, and different members of one body. And we've got to die to ourselves. To be one. We're, we're, we're trying to be one. In unity. And as long as we focus on the problem and not the person, we're good. As long as we focus on the problem at hand, let me say this again. As long as we focus on the problem at hand and not the person, will be good. See, all that said, even the Bible suggests that drastic measures must be taken when there is a refusal to fix the problem. Or drastic measures must be taken when there is a clearly indicated desire to perpetuate the problem. Let me, to keep it going. You know, some people come to church for mess. They like mess. They like drama. So they just look around and see who they can start drama with. And if ain't no drama happening today, they're going to find drama. Look at them weird, they got a problem. 
People like that. Drastic uh, measures must be taken in, in, in those cases. But also drastic measures must also be, be taken when there is clear disrespect of another person. Why? Because when you disrespect another person, it indicates a lack of love. Deuteronomy 11, chapter, verse, verse, says, Therefore, love the Lord your God, and what's along with it? And always keep his mandate and the statutes, ordinances, and commands. And so I'd imagine that Jesus was probably looking at this in Luke 6, 46, when he was chastising people. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And don't do the things I say. Y'all see the problem with that, right? You know, for those of us that rent, um, you know, our uh, renting apartments or whatnot, you know, your landlord tells you what to do. Gives you the parameters, right? But the very least thing you got to do is pay the landlord. Right? What happens if we say, you know what, I don't feel like paying, paying the landlord today. Keep on doing that and ain't going to be your landlord. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And don't do the things I say. When we uh, say Lord, we are saying one who has a charge, one who has command. If we're saying that this is our commander, this is one that's leading us, and we refuse to be led by him, why are we doing this? And I say this because Jesus shows that when you don't do the things that he says, it's disrespectful. And, again, with Deuteronomy 11, it indicates a lack of love. Now, I don't know your life, but as I look around and as I've searched in my short little time here on earth, I've learned that you just can't love somebody that you don't respect. Give me some examples. Now, some of you may say, oh, well, you know, certain things. Well, there are examples of people that love but don't respect. You know what that's called? Abusers. Pedophiles love children. I don't question that at all. And why am I saying this? Because there's a difference between 
uh, disagreement and disrespect. Okay, at church we can disagree. Okay, there's you know maybe we have different ways of trying to do things. We think one way is better than the other. It's fine. Okay, it's, church is, is like any other place. You can disagree. Okay, can't disagree on the Bible. All right, just throwing that out there. But you know just um, with certain other things, you can disagree, but you cannot disrespect. And I'm sure everyone here is saying, well, you know, uh, I don't disrespect nobody. I'm going to say something that might blow some of your minds. Respect is determined by the other party. Let it cook, let it cook. Let me say that one more time. Respect is determined by the other party. We in church right now. And if I come through this door, I know I don't know if the cameras can even follow me this this far. I come through this door. And I'm like, hey, T. Murph. Hey, murder Murph. Murder Murph, dog. What's good, dog? Hey, bro. Hey, what's going on, huh? Hey, where's CC at? You, you know where CC at? CC, oh, you don't know CC? That's Ciola, man. That's my girl, man. Where's she at? Disrespectful, right? But, 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 I wasn't coming disrespectful. Deacon Murphy, my friend, this, this is what we do. You, you know me and Mother Mo- But everybody can see, even those that are not part of St. John can see that there's something off. Hello? There's something off. First off, we in church. Okay. Second of all, Deacon Murphy, that's not how he liked to be greeted. His name ain't Murder Murph. To this day, I still call Mother Moore Mother Moore. No CC. Me, me. But y'all, y'all see what I'm saying is, is, is even though I feel like I'm not being disrespectful, it was still disrespectful. Why? Because respect is determined by the other party. The situation dictates. The person dictates 
how respect is supposed to happen. And the reason I say this is because we live in a day where everybody want to keep it 100. Let me translate that. Everybody want to keep it real. Let me translate that. Everybody wants to be honest about who they are. They don't want to switch up. They don't want to change for any situation, for any circumstance. They're just unapologetically me. And what I am saying is there are times where being unapologetically you is going to be disrespectful. And if you can't respect people, then it's you can't love them. You know why? Because you're too much in love with yourself to love somebody else. Some of us also say, well, you know, that's just how I am. That's, that's just the way God made me. Oh, oh, you like that with your boss? Hello? You like that with your grandparents? <laughs> Some of y'all know my grandma. <laughs> let, me, let me one time, she say, hey, James. What? Y'all better start preparing my services right then. Or, 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 huh. Now, if I'm talking to some of my friends, this is not even a problem. Yeah, what? Yeah, what's, what's good? What's, what's wrong? But if I say that to my grandma, that's it. Why? Because respect is determined by the other party. Y'all saying that's not Bible. Do y'all realize why the Ten Commandments and the law existed? It's because God is trying to tell his people how to respect him. That you just can't come any old way. That you can't just uh, say any old thing but that when you come into the presence of the living God and if you want to say that you are a child of his, there is a way that you must be. And that is the gospel message, is that we can't be that by ourselves. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins, so that we can be continually renewed and transformed into the image of Christ. But we miss all that because we're trying to keep it a buck. Sorry, keep being honest. We keep trying to be honest. Just me. That's just me. Some of us come down on certain people a certain way. All right, but you can go, go come that way on bro down the corner. Oh, well, I, I mean, oh. Uh, well, how come? You can yell at so-and-so, but you can't yell at so-and-so. What happened? What happened? Respect 
is dictated by the other party. There is a time and a place for everything. I am saying this, and I understand this service is going long. I understand this. I am saying this because sin is a virus. And if you know anything about viruses, how many of y'all were alive for the last three years, four years? Hello? If you know anything about viruses, they like to spread and infect. Sin is a virus. That is what it does. The sin that is in you does not want to just stay in you. It wants to affect everybody else. That's how when Adam all die. Like, like it didn't just stay with Adam. And not only that, Satan is the author of confusion. And it's weird to me that we have Christians, and I don't know if these Christians attend St. John or not, but I, it's weird to me that we have Christians that don't really believe in Satan. It, it, it's weird to me. But Satan is the author of confusion. In fact, part of the problem with conflicts in church is that we won't recognize the author of the conflict. Because when we start talking about, well, you know, it's the devil. Man, get out of all that devil stuff, man. I ain't trying to hear all that. Satan's like, yes, they'll never figure me out now. Y'all realize that's his strategy, right? He operates in stealth. He just gets people mad. He don't want people focusing on the problem. He wants people focusing on the people. Make the people the problem. Satan is the author of confusion. Satan wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy St. John. He wants to destroy you individually. And he wants to destroy your family. That is the goal. He is trying to destroy you. The problem is that when you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, you are covered by his blood. What does that mean? That means Satan can can throw all his darts at you. He can shoot all his guns at you, but it will never destroy you. That's why um, Jesus says, you know, um, in Matthew 16, about how, you know, the church is going to, you know, uh, 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 be judging for all time. Uh, 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 Satan wants to destroy the church, but guess what? Satan can't destroy us. So his new strategy is get the church to destroy the church. Y'all see that? Get the family to destroy the family. I can't, Satan can't do nothing to the family, but get the family to destroy the family. And, and if we could be real honest, get you to destroy you. Can't nothing stop you but you. So Satan just works on telling you. He can't do nothing to you, 
but he wants you to do something to you. This is the opposite of John 13. uh, Jesus says, I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. St. John, if we have a culture of people, and I'm talking about a, a church culture, if we have a church culture of people who simply will not love each other, we are not suddenly going to get better with more people. Don't you realize that we will inherit issues? More people, more problems. If you want to come to a nice, clean, fully functional church, don't come. (laughs) The only way this church is sinless is when we're not in it. We're going to inherit issues. We're going to have more people, and that's going to bring, it will bring, it will bring more problems. And that is why sometimes God does not add to certain churches. That is why sometimes God himself supernaturally puts his hand in front of the entrance door so that people will not come in. Because he knows that this church can't handle it. Now that I have a newborn baby, I understand. Why would you send a newborn baby to a place that ain't prepared for a newborn baby? I mean, you wouldn't even do it. Why do you expect God to? Why would you send your precious you know, son or daughter to be cared for in a place that's going to rip them apart. Why would you do that? Sometimes that's why God doesn't add to certain churches. But thank God he is continuing to add to St. John. So all that to say, And coming back to the scripture, if you are a leader in this church, now this really applies for everybody, but you know, leaders are always held to a higher standard. Starting with me, and especially me. If you are a leader and you cannot respect others, then that means you cannot love others. And if you are a leader, and you cannot love others, you don't need to be a leader. Why have loveless leaders? Doesn't the scripture say that this is how everybody's going to know? That we are Christians, that we are disciples of Jesus Christ? 
if what? We show up for church? If we tithe? If we sing real loud? If we smile and wear the best clothes? Verse 35 is still on the screen. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Jesus talking. You are my disciples. If you love one another. That is how people tell you are Christians. And if people coming into St. John cannot tell that our leaders are Christian, What are we doing? What are we doing? And I'm getting to the end. It's embarrassing for the world to outlove us. We have literally the example of love, the greatest love. And the world is outloving us. It's embarrassing for the, lo- the world to outlove us. It's embarrassing for the world to outrespect us. We kings and queens, or princes and princesses, we royalty, y'all. We're child of the king. Like, like, like. <laughs> and we got less respect for each other than when we in management meetings. Oh, Mr. President, yes, sir. Yeah. Oh, 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 director. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. We get in church and talk to all levels, all, all kind of ways. It's embarrassing for the lo- world to out-love us and out-respect us. We should be showing them what love is, not them showing us. And I say that because when we go back to Acts, the sixth chapter, we see a wonderful example of resolving an issue. Uh, Acts 6, verse 1, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 7. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there rose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews. Okay, these were Greek-speaking Jews, basically, you know, Jews spoke Hebrew, right? But these are the ones that were raised, you know, outside of Israel and whatnot, and they you know, they, they're really more Greek, you know, than Hebrew. The Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews, those are the quote-unquote original Jews, right, uh, that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. There was a food giveaway, and they were separating based on, really, race. Y'all imagine the uproar that would happen. Oh, we a black church, quote-unquote. And we got food giveaway, and we just we're gonna make sure the black people get served first. Hello? Especially after the history we've gone. Y'all y'all know what happened, you know, y'all know what we're referencing tomorrow, right? MLK Day, right? Yeah. We 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 putting people in the back. Jews came from slavery, and and this is what they're doing to each other. 
we we looking at them, but black folks. Okay. Um, verse two. There's a problem, right? The twelve. These are the disciples. The twelve um, summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, "It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables." Just like I think you guys would say, you you think I should probably keep preaching, right? Not go out there into the parking lot. I, I think so, right? I hope so. <laughs> brothers and sisters, verse 3, select from among you. This is the answer. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom whom we can appoint to this duty. Okay, can't just grab anybody. Okay, grab somebody that, that, that's in agreement, right? Verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. Um, they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Verse 7, I want y'all to read this real carefully. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number. And a large group of priests, we're talking other religions, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Let me get ready to end. Let me end this. Let me end this. Once we attack problems and not people, we can see that the parking situation is resolved very simply. One, we need parking attendants. This is an announcement period now. We need parking attendants. And two, we need to pray for more parking. Church, I, I admit As a church, we've prayed for people to come. We just haven't prayed for the means to accommodate the growth. God answered his prayer. He did his part. We just didn't pray for everything we should have. The seven that were in the book of Acts were the precursors to what we now call deacons. Deacons, can you please raise your hand? We got deacons up in the front. Why do they sit, and, and one back there. Why do the deacons sit in the front? Not because they're more, you know, uh, 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 not because they're better or more respected or anything like that. They sit in the front because they're supposed to be able to help quicker. Things happen, that's it, okay? So let's just clear that up, all right? We're not talking about people that are better than somebody else. We're talking about people that need to be available to help. Why? Because that's what they originally started. Those deacons, uh, uh, the, the people that started, which were the precursor to the deacons, helped uh, uh, the food program at that time to be fair. And they resolved the issue. Deacons are here at St. John to help me resolve issues. And on top of that, we have ushers too. So the next time that there is a parking issue, usher or deacon, 
And when a deacon is told that there is an issue, it is the deacon's job to handle the issue. The end. <laughs> the end. And when we do this, which, by the way, the deacons have been informed about the parking issue. They're, they're, they're now, it's on their radar. They now, need to know that, they now know that they need to do something about it. When, uh, uh, the, now that the deacons will handle it, the church can continue to grow. It is, it is said that a church only grows as big as its parking lot. The deacons are handling it so that the church grows and that I can focus on preaching the word and not dealing with how everybody disrespecting everybody else because of an issue that has nothing to do with them. It's just a, a structural and a program issue. More people can be present to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we keep the main thing, the main thing, that we get to glorify God among the people so that the people may glorify God, so that people can look at Jesus Christ and him crucified on the cross for our sins, buried and risen, and to say, I want to follow Jesus. We can keep people the main thing. I mean, we can keep people focused on the main thing. But what makes people not listen is conflict. It's said that, uh, you know, you can't have gratitude when you have an attitude. Some of us can't praise God now because we come in with attitude. But if we keep the main thing, the main thing, God will bless us. Problems are still problems. They need to be dealt with. And I hope that everybody sees that the problem, some of these problems have been dealt with today. But I still hold to what I said last week, that problems are blessings in disguise. They're still problems. They still need to be addressed. They need to be dealt with. But all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I believe I've spoken enough.